Well, good morning, everybody. I'm so, um, man, so glad to be worshiping with you. And last week we started talking about uh, worship. And so we're, we're spending like five weeks here talking about the fact that we're created to worship. And the invitation is um, that we are going to uh, pay attention to, to acknowledge the fact that God's presence is with us, and we're going to value that presence together. And man, last week, as we just talked about that, we opened up Malachi together, and we looked at God's um, call and his charge to his people to say, wake up and see, like pay attention to what you're doing when you're worshiping me. As we did that, I, man, the Spirit of God moved in a way that um, I really haven't seen before. And that's true in my heart. That's true in many of your hearts. It was first service. It was second service. It was people that were online. It was people that were in person. And I've heard from so many of you, I, I just deeply believe that, that God is um, going before us and he's, um, he's just creating this in all of our hearts that as we say together, we want to engage our hearts in worship to the Lord. The Spirit of God is doing something and I'm excited to see what that looks like today. So if you have your Bible, open to um, Hebrews chapter 10 and I'm going to put the verses on the screen for us. But we're going we're gonna to look at this together. We're going to take um, a step from the, uh, the warning and the call that was given in Malachi. And now we're going to step into some really deep and profound theology in the book of Hebrews that says so much about who we are before the Lord. And as we pr- prepare ourselves to do that, um, I want to read you this quote from Darlene Check. So um, she's, she's like one of Jaleesa's favorite worship leaders. She's the, the shout to the Lord girl. I don't know if you guys remember that, but she wrote that song that was like, the 90s for me completely. And, um, and so she says this. She says, Is it possible that we have become so comfortably blessed and familiar with the goodness of God, with the holiness of his presence, and with the consistency of, our good, of his goodness in our lives that we take him for granted? I love that call, that challenge. Have we become so familiar with the goodness of God, the holiness of his presence, and the consistency of his goodness in our lives that we take him for granted. I, I'll say as a confession, 100%, I do. I do. I take the Lord for granted. And she asked this, is it time that we put down what we are doing to take another look? And I would say yes. And that's the point of our sermon series, the point of us gathering to worship. That's actually literally why we gather week after week is because we're saying we have this tendency, we are so prone to take God for granted, to see him, but not really see him, you know? to engage with God and not really recognize that that's actually what we're doing. And so the call we have this morning, what, we're gonna, what I'm going to invite you back into this week, into this space, is to say, hey, we are very prone to take the Lord for granted, his goodness, his holiness, the, the consistency of his goodness in our lives. We're so prone to take that for granted. Let's take a deeper look. Let's open our hearts. Let's ask the Lord to please just speak to us out of his word and to challenge us out of what we're seeing, uh, what, we're, what we're growing numb to. So we're going to read through Hebrews together. Hebrews 10. I'm going to start in verse 19 here. This is what he says. He says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, and then I'm just leaving you with an ellipsis, okay? So now, if you're looking in your Bible, don't cheat. Don't look ahead. He's going to say some powerful things. But I want us to start here with the premise to his argument, okay? This is how he's setting it up, okay? So he's saying a couple of since statements. Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by this new and living way that he opened us for the curtain through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, he's going to go on to say something powerful. He's going to go on to invite us anything. But let's just examine these two things real quick since we have this access with confidence to the Lord. 
Now, this is all based, the, the, the original readers of Hebrews, it's called Hebrews because he's speaking to this Jewish audience. And God's people were familiar with the worship of God. They were familiar with the holy places. These things would have meant a lot to them in their experience and everything that had been handed down to them. But this is what it looked like. So they were a people that, man, they're in their presence. They were the people marked by the fact that in the midst of their camp, in the midst of their people, God dwelt in there, okay? So if you just picture, if you can imagine, William Jessup is this big building across the way from us. So there's this whole community all around, right? And let's just say it wasn't a college, but there is the temple of God, okay? And you can look, and kind of wherever you are in the camp, as you look around, you see first they had the tabernacle, which was the tent version. And eventually when they got into the promised land and they get into Jerusalem, they built a permanent temple for the Lord. But anywhere you look, you can see, okay, that's where the presence of God actually lives, and think about how intense this was. So to even get on the grounds of the tabernacle or the temple, to even get close to where God's presence was so that you could worship, there was really strict and clear ceremonial washing that you'd have to do. You'd have to kind of cleanse yourself. There's sacrifices that have to be made. And that kind of cleanses you so that you can even enter the temple grounds at all. Nobody's getting anywhere near the worship of God in a sense until they've been cleansed, right? Then there's the priests, okay? And they're the ones that are actually like serving and leading God's people. They had to not just ceremonially wash as they entered, but they had to be consecrated, ordained for good to kind of, um, to kind of just say, this person set apart, this person has dedicated themselves so they can stand on the temple grounds, on the tabernacle grounds, and minister and lead God's people. So all of that to just even get in there, okay? Get in there. And then inside of the tabernacle and the temple, inside of that, there was this whole other section that was blocked off by a curtain, okay? So within this whole entire holy place, there was this section blocked off within there, and a curtain kept it closed, and this was the holy of holies. The whole place is holy, but this is the holy of holies. And the curtain's there because you do not go into the holy of holies. And this is where God's presence like really, really was, okay? The whole temple, the whole tabernacle was God's presence, God meeting with his people. But man, inside there, blocked off by the curtain, the holy of holies. And what, would, what you would find if you were to go back in there is you would find the Ark of the Covenant, God's Ark that, that held the, the, um, the, uh, the Ten Commandments that Moses received. It held um, Aaron's rod that he would carry, and it held some of the manna from heaven. And it was there, and God's presence was like seated on this chest that was in there. And so this was, man, the place that if you wanted to encounter God, if you wanted to literally be in God's presence, you pull back that curtain and you go in. But you don't do that. Nobody does that. Nobody goes into God's presence except one person. And that's the high priest. And that high priest gets to go in exactly one time a year on the Day of Atonement. And that, like, God is there. God is present. And so one time, once a year, and the reason that that high priest would go would be to carry the sacrificial blood, to make this offering for the Lord because he is a holy God living in the midst of this sinful people. And, and to kind of keep that reconciliation, that, that relationship open, there had to be this sacrificial acknowledgement of we're broken, we're sinful, we go against you. But Lord, we value you when we're here. And so once a year, they would go in to this presence of the Lord. And when they were in this presence of the Lord, man, they, the glory of God is this intense, impossible to understand thing. When they dedicated the tabernacle, so the first version as they're wandering in the wilderness, the tabernacle is the tent version. When they dedicated it, God's presence came into there in, in such a bright, overpowering fashion that because his glory was there, they couldn't even get near it. All the priests had to step back. Moses couldn't even go in there because God's glory was just filling that place. 
when they, when they dedicated the, um, the, the temple, the first thing they did, they brought the Ark of the Covenant into the Holy of Holies, and they put it there behind the curtain, and man, God's glory came in, in such a way that they couldn't even stand anywhere near the whole thing. When they dedicated it, Solomon prays, dedicates the temple. Again, God's glory just overpowers the whole thing, and they just can't be there. And all of it just shows us how intense the presence of God is when it comes to his holy place and then the holy of holies within that whole rest of the thing. And now look at this. This is crazy. Two people who know all of that, who understand deeply what that looks like, who would have gotten all the dynamics of what it meant to enter the holy of holies, the author of Hebrews writes this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, since we have confidence to enter, other translations will say boldness, right? So, so I, I don't know what it would have been like exactly for the priests and everything, but I know that words like confidence and boldness would never have been used. Access was so limited, right? It was so strict. And even then, for that one person, if you can imagine being that one person that got to go in once a year, boldness, confidence is not the word. In fact, what they would end up doing is they would, they would tie a rope around this person's leg going in and some bells. So you can kind of hear, okay, he's still moving, he's still moving. We hear the bells ringing. And if you don't hear the bells for a while, you can ba- safely assume, okay, that person died in the presence of the Lord. It happens. The, the presence of the Lord is very intense in there. And that rope is there because if he dies, you are not getting him out. So you pull him out from behind the curtain. This is, this is uh, so words I would describe for entering the Holy of Holies. Um, fearful, right? Reverent, timid. Um, all of those would be good words to use. But here, the author of Hebrews is telling us something has happened in Jesus to the point where we, not just the, high, not just the priest, not just the high priest, but we have confidence to enter into the holiest places in the Lord. We have confidence to stand there in the presence of the Lord. And so he, here's two assertions he makes since we have confidence, okay? He's stating it like, because this is true, because we have confidence to enter by this new way, by the blood of Jesus. And he's saying, look, in Jesus, here's what's happened. We have confidence to enter by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain. What's crazy is Jesus came. He, he was God's presence on earth, right? He's Emmanuel. He's God's with us. God, Jesus came to be with us. He died on the cross. And when he died, the, all three of the um, synoptic gospels, so Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all tell us that what happens when Jesus was on that cross, he was there as the sacrificial lamb for our sins. He was the sacrifice being made. And when he died, when that sacrifice was made and he died, the temple in the curtain was torn. And it's saying, look, this, tent, this curtain that stayed there, that kept us away from God's presence, that curtain is not needed anymore. That curtain is irrelevant now. That curtain is, is broken and destroyed because now, God's glory is not staying inside of the Holy of Holies. Everything that kept us out, everything that kept us back from God's direct presence, all of that is torn. It's done away with. And in Jesus, we now have access. We have confidence. We have this way behind the curtain. And all of us who spent our whole lives, you know, if you're reading this at that time, all of us who spent our whole lives on the outside, visibly seeing God's glory, but not being able to participate and not knowing what it would be like and being fearful about entering that presence as they should have been, now with Jesus it's saying there is access, there is confidence, and we can stand there in the presence of God himself. And what's crazy about this, then, is what this means is there was, the whole, there was the temple that was the holy place. There was the holy of holies within that. And now he's saying, that doesn't exist anymore. 
The curtain, the curtain is gone. There's no separation between where God is and where God isn't. And so where now is the presence of God in this world? It's everywhere that Jesus is. And where is Jesus? He is everywhere that we can be, right? And so he's here in this room right now. And so as we have been singing songs and as we're hearing his word, he's here with us now. This place becomes the holy of holies, and we have confident access to say, I can be here right now. And if we left here and we went down to the camp at Trackside Church, right, we're there and there's a bunch of people that are camping out and the presence of God is there in that place because Jesus is carried there by brothers and sisters like this, because Jesus is carried there, that place is the holy of holies and people are experiencing the presence of God. And when we go back to our homes with all the brokenness that exists in our homes and our neighborhoods and all of our own failings and all of our own weaknesses, when we go back there, that place is the holy of holies and it's the place where the presence of God dwells, that same presence that would have driven everybody out of the room in the Old Testament is now a place of access and presence and not just a place that we can be, but a place that he's saying, you already are there. You already have confidence to enter that place and to be in the presence of God. And so what's happening theologically here in all this, okay, it's, it's all a picture of this reality that there is a God who, I mean, he made everything. He made all of us. He, he, he spoke and the world just snapped into existence in obedience to him. And that God made us with all of our, um, all the ingenuity of human intellect and human will and human creativity and human love and, and human relationships, all these things he made to be beautiful and to have this wonderful, loving dominion over the earth. But every single one of us, starting with Adam and Eve, have rejected that rule of God, rejected our duty before him. And we've said, okay, God, I hear you. I see what you're calling me to, but I would rather do it this way. And we become self-destructive. We become destructive of the people around us. We become harmful to God's earth. We, we, we build these systems that, that, that oppress and that hurt other people. And we're just all participating in this whole broken humanity. And because of that, because of that sin... There's this God that loves us, and we hold God at arm's length, and we say, no, I'm distant. And Jesus says, look, I came to be among you. I came to identify with you. I came to walk in this life with you. And at the end of it all, he laid his life down as this perfect sacrifice. And as he laid himself down, he says, the path is open. There is no separation. It does not matter how much you've sinned. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how you feel. We get to be in the presence of the Lord. So, the two things he's saying. One is we have confidence to enter this holy place by the blood of Jesus. That's the first thing. Since that's true, and also since, he says, we have a great high priest. The high priest is Jesus, okay? So somehow, Jesus is both the sacrifice that's being offered, and he's the priest that's standing there offering that sacrifice. So because of these two things, something changes in how we relate to God. Because Jesus is standing there behind the curtain. We have this whole thing. And so the glory, man, this is what's crazy about this argument here. The glory that kept people back. You can't go into the Holy of Holies because God's presence is there. Stay back, right? Now we're being told because God's presence is there behind the curtain, we belong there, right? It's not keeping us back. It's inviting us in. And it's because Jesus is the one who stands there behind the curtain. And he says, we don't need this. We, we have this. Um, we have these since strong statements. Since this is true, we're going to go on to the next verses and see. But here's what I want us to see. He's saying since. He's saying these things. Another way to say it would be because we have confidence, right? Because we have this high priest. He's saying, we do have confidence. This is true. And so this is, here's the crazy thing. This is what God believes about us. 
So these things are being said as true. This is what God believes about you. So when God looks at you, he sees somebody that has confidence, that can confidently enter into his presence. He looks at you and he sees someone that belongs in the holiest place standing there next to Jesus. God believes that about you. Now the hard question is, do you believe that about yourself? Do you believe that you belong where God believes that you belong? That's the question. And I feel like so often, man, our Christian life is this whole game that we play to explain why we can't possibly be where God is. Well, we're not ready yet. We can't quite be there yet. But man, maybe one day I'll have a good enough day that I'll belong there. And God's just saying, look, you belong. I'm saying you belong. And I'm saying that you have this high priest. And now watch what he's going to say in response. Now we go past the ellipses. Verse 22. He says, let us therefore draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So because these things are true, he says, here's the call, here's the command. Let's draw near to God. Let's draw near. Let's go where God is. Let's go into the presence. Let's go into the glory of God. What would have bowled over all the Old Testament saints, what, 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 we, what we as human beings are totally incapable of experiencing, he's saying, Let's go. Jesus has made that way. He has torn the curtain. He has made these distinctions irrelevant. And he's brought us through the great high priest and the great sacrifice of Jesus. He's brought us in and he says, let's draw near to God. Now, what does it look like in daily life to do this? Sometimes we leave it here and we use the church terms and we let these things sit and we say, okay, would you draw near? But what does that actually look like in our daily lives? I, th I think it looks like a lot of things. I mean, one thing for sure it looks like is when we're here, and we're singing together. We're here as a, as a group of people, and we're saying our, our purpose on this earth, we're really here to, to worship God and to invite other people into worshiping and enjoying God as well. Like, that's so much what we're doing. And as we come together and we do that, and we sing together to recognize the fact that drawing near to God means, okay, Lord, you are here, and we're saying these things that are true to you in our songs. We're saying these things, Lord, would you take my heart and bring it closer to you? Drawing near to God looks like, Lord, I'm saying these things that are true, and I want my heart, I want my mind, I want my body engaged in acknowledging you for who you are. So we draw near like that. Drawing near also looks like any given moment, any given day, wherever you are, whether you're here at Trackside or at home, wherever you are, it looks like we can talk immediately and directly to God. There's no need to go find a sacrifice to offer. There's no need to go um, complete some moral deeds to clean yourself up. It doesn't matter how recently your, your most recent sin was or if you're maybe currently in the act of sinning. I don't really know. All it is is just saying, draw near to God. He, we have this new way through the blood of Jesus. Draw near to God. And, and, and there's that call. There's that access. There's this openness. And so we're being um, urged to come to him. And, and drawing near to God looks like now, I think, it looks like things like repentance and humility. We come before the Lord. We draw near to him in repentance of our sin and in humility before the Lord. But it does not look like, and I think we mistake this often, it does not look like penance and, and uh, making atonement for our own sins, okay? We, we have uh, too often in even the Protestant church, we do our own versions of penance before the Lord. And we've sinned and we've fallen short and we haven't done the things that God calls us to do. And we've definitely done the things that God calls us not to do. And so we feel like I can't quite go into God's presence yet. I first have to make sure that I prove that I'm really, really sorry for what I've done. Or I've got to go and do and accomplish a few other things first. And then when I'm on that high, man, then I can come into God's presence and draw near. That's not the theology of the book of Hebrews. What it's saying right here is simply this. Man, in Christ, 
We have confidence to step into that holy place. Because of the blood of Jesus, we can stand there. We can be there. We belong there with him. It is not about cleaning ourselves up. It's about drawing near. And he is near. He's here. He's with us. He's inviting us. And so acknowledging, like, man, when we come into his presence, we're acknowledging. Last week we said worship is about acknowledging the presence of God and valuing that presence. And, man, that's something we can do everywhere. It's something I want us to do here when we gather it's something I want us to do when we're out in our gospel communities, in our neighborhoods. I want it to, us to do it when we're out in our community, when we're serving, when we're inviting people to experience Jesus as we're experiencing it. It's acting like the sons and the daughters of God that we actually are. And so I want that to sink in for us, to recognize the deep reality that this says is true about us. So from time to time, we have funerals in this room. And so it's, it's interesting to kind of juxtapose that. Friday, we had a funeral in here. And, um, I mean, funerals are, are solemn. You know, sometimes they're celebratory. But there's, um, there's, like, the decorum and there's everything that happens, right? So there's a minister that gets up and tries to say things in the right way to honor the life of the person. And we pray prayers. And there's, there's a liturgy to it. And there's sharing of stories. Um, but when I was in here on Friday for this funeral... There was a whole cluster of kids, okay? And that makes sense. There's often kids at funerals. Whole cluster of kids. And the kids definitely are in the space, okay? They're definitely part of the funeral thing, but they have no clue what's actually happening, right? And so you get things like, you know, sharing these memories, these grueling memories of a person that passed away, right? And then meanwhile, a kid's like, Mom, I'm hungry! You know, full volume. No clue of what's happening around him, right? Like, Mom, when's he going to be done talking? You know, just full volume. The kids are here, right? But they don't get what's going on around them, right? And I feel like that's us often, right? We live our lives and we're in this holy presence of God, right? The, the very presence that would have caused all these Old Testament saints to just fall on their face and whatever. And it's like we're strolling in there like little babies and we're just sitting there thinking about the 49ers game later, you know? Or we're, we're sitting here thinking about like, man, life's been rough. Like I don't, I don't have everything the way I want it. Um, we, we sit there and think about, man, I, I just haven't been performing the way that I want to. Like we have all these thoughts. Meanwhile, we're in the very presence of God and we're missing the fact that there's an invitation there to be standing in the holy of holies next to Jesus with him putting his arm around us and telling us we belong here because of him and we get to be there. And man, I would love for us to continue to just clue in more and more and more to the presence of God. And that's true when we're in here. It, it's true when we're out in the community serving. It's true when we're home. It's true, it's true when we're at work to recognize that we're, we're like these babies at the funeral that just, we're there, but we're missing what's really happening. And so to engage our hearts and to grow up and to recognize, man, our hearts have been sprinkled clean from the evil conscience, right? Our, our, um, we've been, our bodies have been washed, right? This, this cleansing has come. And he says, so do this. All this has happened to us, right? Our, the evil conscience and all this stuff, it's all been washed away. In verse 23, he says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And so we hold fast to this confession of hope. Now, what does that mean to hold fast to this confession of hope? I think we might be tempted to think it means, man, I have this hope that is unwavering, right? Like, I've never had a doubt about my Christian faith at all. I never have any questions. I never doubt God's goodness. I never doubt his existence. And so, man, I am a rock, and I just keep rolling with it. I don't think that's what he's saying. 
I think he's saying, hold fast to the confession of your hope, meaning that like somewhere deep down, and maybe you have to dig pretty dang far these days to find it, but somewhere in there, there's this hope that Jesus is who he says he is, that he does what he says that he does. There's this belief deep down, and, and yeah, like I, I have questions, I have doubts, I, I honestly do, like many of you, I have these questions and doubts that come up from time to time, but there is this confession of that that I can hold on to firmly, Okay. Without wavering. And here, here's, I think, what, what the wavering looks like. I think sometimes we sort of hedge our bets with regard to God. Um, so we, we believe, we know what he says about himself and about us, right? But we kind of hedge our bets. And so instead of just simply worshiping with confidence before the Lord, we do some of that penance stuff. And we think, okay, yeah, I know that I can have confidence, but I'm, I'm not totally sure. And so I'm going to beat myself up over my sin a little bit before I enter into his presence, that's hedging our bets. That's wavering. It's not having that confidence that what God says is true, right? I think sometimes it looks like we secretly try to squeeze all the enjoyment we can out of the shadier aspects of our lives because we're worried that when God says, this is what it looks like to be good, this is what it looks like to be blessed, this is how you're going to experience joy in life is by following me and fellowship with me. We kind of believe it, but we also kind of don't. And so we think, yes, I'm going to be with you, Lord, and I'm going to experience all the joy in that, but I'm also going to hang on to this, these five, six, seven, eight things that are kind of shady, and I know that they are because I'm finding enjoyment there, and I'm going to keep gripping onto that until it gives me the joy because I'm not convinced. And he's just saying, look, go all in. Just see it. Like, believe that Jesus is who he says he is, and let's just continue to lean into holding fast and leaning in to that whole thing because God is faithful. And look, here's what he says. Hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering because God really wants us to be faithful. Is he saying that? No, he's not saying that. Continue to hold fast the conviction that you have because, man, if you believe hard enough, everything's going to fall into place. No, he doesn't say that either. What does he actually say? Hold fast the confession of your hope without wavering because he who promised is faithful. And I love that reminder, right? Because it has never, ever, ever had anything to do with how faithful I can be in following the Lord. It has never had anything to do with that. Because I'll tell you what, man, on some days, I look pretty good on paper, right? And other days, if you followed me around, you'd be like, man, Mark is not all that faithful. And if my worship and if my access to God depended on my faithfulness, I would be in trouble, okay? And we would be exactly what all the rest of the world thinks that we are, which is a bunch of hypocrites that stand before the Lord and say, God, I am here with my hands raised in worship because I am worthy to be here. Because I, have, I am not like the people in the world around me. I've made good choices in my life. I stand here to worship you because, and, and boy, God, aren't you lucky to have my worship because look at how I've been living my life, right? That's what the world thinks we're like. And unfortunately, too many of us in the church begin to believe that about ourselves too. And the way that I know we believe that about ourselves is because when there is some stumble in our lives, when there's some fall, when there's some lapse of faith, we begin to think, I can't, I can't really sing these words to the Lord. I can't really be part of that church. I can't really go out and serve people that need serving because I'm not worthy to go out and serve them, right? But what Hebrews tells us is when God looks at us, he sees people that are already standing in that holy place. People who have already had their consciences, their evil consciences uh, cleansed and sprinkled clean, right? And who already had their bodies washed and who stand there and can worship and don't have to ha let their hope waver at all because the one who promises is faithful. Because God is faithful, we can stand here and we can worship all day. I don't care if you murdered somebody yesterday. You can stand and you can worship God because God is faithful. I want to clarify, I do care if you have murdered somebody, okay? <laughs> Talk to me if that's you. Okay, I'll be around after the service. <clears throat> 
but the, but the worship is not dependent on our actions. God is calling us, inviting us to stand there. And I'm telling you, worship that is based on you standing here in, in the good things that you've done and because things are going pretty well for you, man, that is bankrupt worship. That, that does not sound like a joyful noise to the Lord, right? That's, that's this awful, ugly, self-promoting sound. And too often we think that's what it means to worship God. And he's saying, I am the one who's faithful. I'm the one that's paid the way. I'm the one that's torn the curtain. I'm the one that offered my blood. And I'm standing here and I'm saying, you belong here with me. Just let your feet carry you here. Let your mind and your heart enter into this space that I already see you holding right here with me. And in that space, based on God's faithfulness and who he is, let's worship. And then let's turn and let's look at everybody around us and say, hey, you belong here too. Let's worship the Lord. And this is exactly what he goes on to say. And so he says in... um, Oh, boy, how did I do this? Bruce, thank you. One more, one more. There it is. Okay. No, one more. There it is. He says this, that, uh, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And so the call is to not even try to do this by ourselves, okay? Don't even try. The the whole thing is about worship and being in God's presence and worshiping with this clear conscience and this, this unwavering, like, hope in God. And he says, don't even try it alone. Get together. Encourage one another. Stir each other up, not just to good religious words, but to love and good deeds. And together as we do this, as we lean in together, man, this is a team sport. And it's something we do side by side. We don't try it alone because we know that, man, it it will never be enough. I'm going to have my good days and my bad days, but man, at our best, the Christian community is that place that we always come back to. And it doesn't matter how excited I am or how much I've fallen. When I come back to my Christian family, to my church family, right? You guys are here. And when I don't have the, the reasons in my mind for why I can worship God today, you all have thousands of reasons why. And you remind me of that, right? We lift these up to God. You remind me of that. And when you're having a hard day, I'm going to join with everybody else and remind you of that same thing. And so we stand here as a community. It's like we hold each other's joys. We hold each other's hopes. We hold each other's heartbreaks and the shattering tears. And we just take it all to the Lord together. And we just say, we as a community together, we're going to stir each other on to these love and good works inside the church, outside the church, in our community and around the world. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna stir each other up to these things and it's going to just fuel and it's going to build and it's going to give us more and more and more reasons to worship the Lord and to engage our hearts ever more in that and let it build. Eugene Peterson um, says it like this. He says, worship doesn't satisfy our hunger for God. It whets our appetite. And I love that because I think, you know, you might be, okay, I'm going to go on Sunday so that I can, like, we can have a great worship experience, and then I'll be satisfied, and I can make it through the week. I think if we looked at it this way, we'd say, man, I'm coming hungry. And as we worship, and as I, as I experience worshiping alongside all of you, it, like, fuels my passion and my fire, and it makes my hunger actually greater, right? And when I go out from here, I go out into the world around me, and that hunger is just fueling, and I'm just thinking, God, like, how can I worship you in this moment? How can I worship you in that moment? And then when we come back together, the whole thing just snowballs, because now we have so many more reasons to worship God. And man, some of those days we go and it's like, you know, we just, 
we just, you know, I don't know what we do. We run into a semi or something. It's just like you, you like the world falls apart and it's like, okay, I was, I was worshiping. There was a snowballing thing, but man, I fell on my face and the world beat me down and everything else. But we come back and we've got each other's backs, right? And we sit here and we worship together and we remind each other of what we're trying to do as we go out. Last thing that I want to say before we um, worship some more. He says, we don't neglect to meet together, but instead, what do we do? We encourage one another, and he says, we do it all the more as we see the day drawing near. And I can imagine, there's this day that's coming, okay? And and we're promised this throughout Scripture, there's this day that's coming, that everything that hurts us, everything that makes us apathetic, everything that makes us disappointed in ourselves, everything about the world and that's broken, all the systems, everything that falls apart and weighs us down around us, there's a day that Jesus is coming back, and he's going to fix all of it. He's going to wipe every tear. He's going to, there's going to be no more sin. There's going to be no more death. He's going to fix all of it. And that promise runs throughout Scripture that the day is coming when the Lord's going to come and he's going to set it all to rights and the worship is going to be insane and all of these things. And you might expect the author of Hebrews to say, hey, hang in there. Um, you know, be, don't worry about it. Like, eventually this is all going to be fixed. But what he says is, man, as you get closer to that day, when you see it coming, like ramp it up all the more. Like the, let the worship be all the more. Let your, let your experience of God's presence be all the more. Let your encouraging of each other be all the more as that day comes. And, and here's, here's how I'm viewing this. I told you guys I had to quote Tozer, and so here it is again, okay? And he says it like this. He says, every glimpse that is given to us of heaven and of God's created beings is always a glimpse of worship and rejoicing and, and praise because God is who he is. I can safely say on the authority of all that is revealed in the word of God that any man or woman on this earth who is bored and turned off by worship is not ready for heaven. I love that reminder. All the more as the day draws near because what are we going to do? We're going to experience God's presence like crazy when he returns. We're going to worship him like crazy and it's not going to look like 10,000 verses of Lord I lift your name on high or I could sing of his love forever. It's going to be exciting and it's going to be creative and it's going to be involving our bodies and our communities and all these things together. But we get to experience this worship and every glimpse, Tozer's saying, every glimpse we get of people in the presence of God is this intense worship. And he says, look, if you're not ready to experience it now, if you find yourself bored and turned off by the opportunities to declare to God who he is, to acknowledge his presence and to value that presence, if that's not doing it for you now, look out. You're not going to enjoy heaven very much because that's where we're going. And so the whole thing is just this invitation to see God and to experience him. And I finally, I just want to leave you with this. Tozer again, okay? And he said he feels like worship is missing from churches in his day when he was writing this. And he says, because worship is largely missing, do you know what we are doing? We are doing our best to sew up that torn veil in a temple. We use artificial means to try to induce some kind of worship. And what he's basically saying is, look, he's like, we have this access to the Lord. And he says, but when we refuse to worship, when we refuse to acknowledge that we are in the presence of God, it's almost like we're saying, um, you know what, I'm a little bit uncomfortable with this access that I have to the Father, right? Like, it's a little bit too much to be there in God's presence. And so he says, so many of the things that we do in religious settings are more about, let me separate myself a bit from God, right? Let me, let me put the worship of God into only songs. Let me put the, the proclamation of God only with a, a pastor or a few people, right? Let's put it into programs or whatever. And he's saying, we're, it's like we're trying to like keep ourselves separated and sewn off. Let's get that, that curtain back so that we can worship God at the appropriate times with decorum and we can have this reverence. And the call with worship is simply this. As we stand here in this room, okay, and we worship, and those that are following along along online as we kind of process this, it's saying, right now, right this minute, this place that we are is like the Holy of Holies in the Old Testament. 
the place where God's glory came and it overpowered every heart and it was hard for them to handle because God was there and we're being told in Hebrews that what's true about us, if we see Jesus and our hearts have responded and we say, yes, I see my need for you, I believe that you've sacrificed yourself for me and I want that, I need that, if that's true of us, what the author of Hebrews is saying is we can stand there not Barely, not by the skin of our teeth, not on some technicality or exception, but we belong there. So stand there with confidence, with boldness, and say, Lord, I'm here in your presence because you want me here and because you paid the ultimate price to get me here. And so let's let our worship, as we are in this space together, let's let that worship be an acknowledgement of, I stand here in the presence of God amidst my brothers and sisters to worship the God who loves me and wants to be with me. And then when we step out of this room, as we follow Jesus' examples, and we get out of our seats and get into the streets, let's let that be this reminder that God's presence is there. He's in the streets already, right? Um, Drew and Bird and Jennifer and all these people have found that as you leave a church service and as you go out into the street into a place where nobody wants to go, where nobody wants to touch because these people, man, we don't know what even to do. What you do is you find that Jesus is already there. He's already working. And man, that is what I want in our homes that are broken. I want it in our homes that feel fine. I want it in our workplaces. I want it in our community. I want it in all these places that we just be a people that that continues to step in to this worship and this experience of God like never before. So I'm going to have the band to come back up, and we're going to sing a little bit more. And I just want to invite us all um, to engage on a heart level like that and to do our best to, to picture ourselves in the presence of the Lord not because that's a helpful fiction, but because that's literally what Hebrews says is true about us. So let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful. I am so thankful to be one of your children and to read these words and to know that you're saying this about me. Lord, I pray for those brothers and sisters that are here right now that are feeling distant, apathetic, unworthy, that are feeling like maybe there's something they could or should do to get back closer to to you. And Lord, may we all believe what you said this morning in this passage that we read. May we believe that we have full assurance that we can enter into your presence with boldness, with confidence, knowing that you are standing there and you're standing here with us. Lord, you are the, the platform, the reason, the basis by which we can stand there in your love, receiving your love, receiving your embrace, receiving your empowerment. Lord, may we be cleansed and healed. May we be found in every way that we're lost. May we experience the power of your spirit and your community as we worship together in every way. We pray this in Jesus' name.